You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hey there, Jeanne-Marie Penel, your host of The Art of Parenting. And today I wanted to share a conversation I had a while back with my guest. And when I say a while back, it is pre-pandemic conversation, so we have no clue what is about to happen. But I still wanted you to hear these because I think they are still very pertinent, make total sense, and are a wonderful support to my listeners, to parents. And on that note, to support you, I also just created something that I think you might appreciate. It is called the 50 Confident Boosting Activities for Young Children. It is my guide, my gift to you to really hone in on some of these activities that children can be doing at home. And especially during summertime, this is a great time to be setting some of these up. These are valuable for children um, maybe to 18 months to, to about six years. And they're just, for me, always these kind of prerequisite to bigger activities that they will be doing. So you're setting the foundation in helping them master some life skills. So please enjoy. The download is in the show notes. This is a free download, free gift for you. And please enjoy this interview and let me know what you think of it. All righty. Take good care. Bye-bye for now. Hello, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Pennell. And today I have uh, for our guest, Caroline McGuire. Caroline is a coach working with parents, uh, helping them really with the challenges with their children's social skills and executive functions. So she's going to explain all of that a bit more, but uh, I just wanted to say a big thank you to you, uh, Caroline, for making the time to be here and to have this important conversation with us. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. I really love talking to people and I love sharing the information so parents can get the help that they need. Perfect. So I always like to start with a definition. And that would be your definition of what is the art of parenting. Oh, my goodness. I think the art of parenting is to nurture and help support your child and to ensure that they have all of the life skills that they need, because our job is to get them ready for the world someday. Yes, very important. Um, so before we get a little bit too involved in our conversation, I would love for you to share with the listeners a little bit about your background, 
and how you came to do the work that you're doing, and especially this lovely book that you have come out with, which is Why Will No One Play With Me? Sure, I'd love to. So um, 15 years ago, I made a big career change, and I left the corporate world, and I got trained to be an ADHD and executive function coach. And executive functions is the management system of the brain um, that helps us to pay attention, to plan and prioritize, to think about the future and social skills. And I started working with kids and I was mostly working on academics. Um, I started working for a very famous psychiatrist called Dr. Ned Hollowell. Um, and I, I started to notice that um, the kids that I was working with who were either formally known as Asperger's syndrome or ADHD, um, they, they had um, social challenges and that they really had nowhere to turn. And that as a result of them not having a lot of play dates or, or not being invited to hang out, um, their parents were really struggling too. And their parents had less socialization. And that it was this problem that no one was really talking about it. everybody seemed very focused on academics and so i had this idea i thought if i could give parents a guide um to tell them what professionals know but in layman's terms um because there certainly are social skills curriculums out there but they're written in a very jargony way that's not easy for parents to understand that i would give them this this and i started looking for it and i couldn't find it anywhere and I started having this idea, well, what if I could write this? And I would give parents all they needed to know. And what happened during this sort of, when I was noodling on this, is that a little boy um, and I were working together and he asked me why no one would play with him. And it really affected me and it really struck me because it really came to show that this is what kids care about. This is what kids are worried about. And so I went and I got my master's degree at Lesley University in Boston. Um, and I went there because they were the university that was willing to help me get all of the education I needed for this book. Um, I always had this in mind. And um, so I've been working on this for the past 15 years. Um, and Why Will No Play With Me came out in the fall. And, you know, the whole purpose is to give parents all the information they need about how to talk to kids about social, how to get a kid who's a little bit resistant to talk about it, um, what they need to know, what to pay attention to. And then they can also, they'll be given social skills lessons they can use um, and they can sit down and coach their child themselves. Now, some people aren't going to do that, but if you need to, or you want to, as parents, we really need that kind of information because we're on the front lines. So that's that's really who I am. My whole um, my whole education and career has really been coming to fruition with this idea. And now I'll do you know other things around social as well. But I, I really did this so that I could help kids. That's beautiful, and and help children and and adults who care for them because it's true that I think sometimes we might feel that there is, you know, something going on, but we don't necessarily know how to help a child. So um, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I do, I do have a, a question about how we can help parents maybe 
you know, what, what are the kind of the red flags? I guess my question is that the, the red flags that might uh, make you a little suspect that there's something more going on than, than, you know, just a child being shy or a child being a child who doesn't necessarily, you know, want to socialize with anybody at a, at a certain time. What are, are like some, some major red flags that you have seen and that you help parents kind of detect? Sure. Um, you know, I think one of the red flags is, can your child make new friends? So we all, um, you know, have children that we know who have a couple of friends, maybe they've had them since preschool, but they, they need to be able to meet new people because we know that in life, we're going to have something like seven or eight careers, and we're going to have multiple bosses, and we're, we need to be able to adapt and, and interact with new people. Um, the other red flag is, are they invited? So um, is your child invited to play dates, invited to birthday parties? If they reach out to other kids, if they're a tween or, or, or a teenager, do those kids reciprocate? The third thing is, um, can they adapt? You know, one of the biggest things that uh, we find with um, life is that you have to adapt a lot. And so one of the social skills I talk about in Wild Know and Play With Me is this ability to adapt to new environments and to adapt um, your, your friendship skills. And in the book, I have seven things that everyone needs to be able to do socially. And by that, I don't mean um, that a child would do them the same as, as an adult, but in line with their same age peers. So for instance, um, can they... Uh, manage their emotions, uh, not like a 40-year-old, but the same as other five-year-olds, other seven-year-olds. Do you notice that they tend to melt down more, that they tend to struggle more? Um, and in that case, it's not the end of the world. It just really means we have to help them um, build those skills through direct instruction. Um, one of the other seven is to read social cues. Um, can they interpret what people are doing, scan an environment and see um, that someone's frustrated, that someone's mad? Um, those are the kind of things that I would look for if I was a parent. Um, do they have any alienating behaviors? So in other words, um, you know, do they keep touching other kids or, you know, being too silly goofy and the kids are getting sick of it? Because we know that children who are bullied um, tend to be bullied um, more if they have those kind of um, those kind of alienating behaviors. Again, it's not the end of the world. It really just means we have to help them through direct instruction because we want them to learn these skills so that they can have um, positive relationships and choices in life. Right, right. And is there is there because um, I love this idea of like reading a room and, 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 you know, those what you say, those social cues. Are there are there is there a behavior or something that we can do when our children are, are younger? Because I'm I'm assuming that these uh, seven social skills are, you know, after after five or six years of age, because I know for me, I, I work a lot with children who are in those first six years. And 
they're very <laughs> egocentric. Like they don't, they don't want to bother with, with, you know, socialization yet. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm assuming that this is more for that child who, who should start opening up to, to the social groups and such. But so for the younger children, are there ways that parents can can really help with the development of those skills uh, ahead of time? Absolutely. And that's a great way of framing it. Absolutely. So these are after five or six years old. And um, when they're pre, you know, K and pre in preschool, um, absolutely parents can help. Um, research has shown and you can do this and it will really amaze you. Um, if you talk about emotions and you um, help discuss it with even a, a three-year-old, they will start to use those words that you reflect to them. So instead of saying, um, you know, you're cranky or something, you start to ask them questions. Are, are you feeling hungry? Are you feeling cranky? Um, I, I notice you seem annoyed or, or you seem mad and they will start using the language. I am mad, right? And so we give them that language, which helps build a lot of their emotional control because they start to be able to do what's really important, which is identify how I'm feeling and how it's affecting my behavior. The other thing we can do is we can um, encourage them to have different um, playmates and to facilitate that. I mean, one of the most beautiful things about that age group is that we do have so much influence and so do teachers. So we can help them if they're a little shy or if they're struggling a bit to play with new people. And what's great about that is it then teaches them that, wow, I was scared. I did it and it worked out. Um, and and also help them with those interactions, right? So, um, you know, we can be sort of right there with the play um, if we need to. If a kid is, is struggling, we want to build these skills. And we can say, you know, they're playing house. They're playing family. Um, who would you like to be? And, and, you know, do that a few times. And this is what preschool teachers do so well, so that the child then learns to join that group. Um, and I also love to play I Spy with emotions, and this is in Why Will No One Play With Me, but you can do it with little ones, where we're at a mall, and we're going to spy all the people who seem frustrated, all the people that, and it starts to build their awareness that on people's face are clues to how they feel. Um, and it's fun. They love it. They think they think it's hysterical. So we can definitely do things um, throughout the child's life to help. And that's one of the reasons I wrote this. I wrote Why Will No One Play With Me is because I, I know there are professionals and they're wonderful, but there are parts of the world and the country where people can't afford those professionals or where they're not easily accessible. And we as parents are there day in, day out. We have a wonderful opportunity. Right. As, as we know, we are the child's first and, and, and most important teacher. So if we have those skills um, at home and those tools at home, um, you know, it's beautiful for us to, to be able to help our children. Uh, it's funny when you were talking about, you know, uh, the, the I spy, the emotion, I, I 
had a memory come back of being a young child, and in, this is in Paris, where my father, uh, we would sit at the on a terrace in a cafe, and he would he would kind of you know people watch, but out loud, <laughs> and and just you know describe what he was seeing, and we would we would spend an afternoon just people watching and and making up stories of what they were feeling and thinking and who they might be and everything. So it's it's funny how that's. You know, that was, I guess, his way of helping us discern what people were about. I love it. I mean, I, I, I grew up actually in the country, but whenever I'm in a city like Paris, you know, one of the things I love is that you do get to see so many people. And I always tell parents, in your daily life, you're with your child, especially um, young children, but, but anyone. And you're on the subway or you're, you know, in a cafe and, you know, you can have so many bridges to conversation. Um, and also, you have a life that they don't know about as a working person. And so you can also share with them really important information that they need to know, like, you have a boss that you are having to adapt your style to, to get along with. I think parents, you know, we don't want to bring in too much. And make the child scared. But I think it's important for them to know that that's something we all do. We all get angry and we have to manage our emotions. It's, it's not just them. Yes. And I love that you bring that up because I know uh, parents, you know, often are frustrated because their children won't necessarily share what they did during the day or, and I always say, we'll start by sharing what you did and how you felt and, you know, what made you laugh, what made you sad and things like that. And that is the way to model to our children that, you know, we're, we're sharing about all, all different aspects of our days. Absolutely. I mean, models are, as you know, one of the biggest ways that children learn. Um, and I do want to say that there are children that you have great social skills as a parent, you read the room and the child just because of their neurology, because of their brain, they don't come to that as easily. And they obviously have other tremendous talents and strengths. But I agree with you. I think the more we, you know, if you want your child to read, you read. If you want your child to um, you know, share, then it's really good for you to start by sharing. Or I actually just heard a lovely one from a preschool teacher where you asked someone what were the sunny parts of their day and what were the cloudy parts of their day. And Aww. I thought that was just lovely because that's more for a little one. But I mean, it could become a family tradition. And by the way, eating dinner together and communicating socially we know it helps. And so I would say to parents, that's my very first piece of advice. Start eating dinner and talking together. Oh, that is music to my ear. We actually had an episode recently um, with Katie Kimball where, where we, we basically talked just about that, of, of how the importance of family meals. Because for me, I know in my family, um, and, you know, this this was was like a a priority for me to have as many meals a day with my children and, and my husband. So when they were here, I'm, I'm a newly empty nester. So I'm kind of missing that right now, but it was really breakfast and dinner because, you know, lunchtime where we're at work or at school 
and such. And to me, it's, it really is that time when you're able to communicate and, and kind of catch things that might be going on in the child's life that you wouldn't necessarily um, see or, or talk about if you don't have kind of that uh, consistent time of day where you can sit down and share what's going on in your in your life. Absolutely. And I, I have many friends. I myself have a five-year-old and an 11-year-old, so I'm pretty far from the empty nester. Um, but I have a lot of friends in my book club and in my life professionally who are empty nesters. And, you know, I think you're right. It's the thing we look back on the most. And it's also incredibly important for building these social skills. Um, you know, and, and I say this because we all do it, put the phone away, model that, park the phone in the kitchen for everybody um, and try to have a conversation. And I always say this to parents, and this is part of why we'll know and play with me, especially the chapters on, you know, when children are resistant. Um, you know, if you're not doing that, that's fine. Now, today is a new day. So, so you can start. Because we all get caught up in habits that we don't love about, you know, our family time. And, you know, it is really, really helpful to create that conversation and have them um, sharing what's going on in their lives. And I know some kids don't come to sharing easily, but like you said, share your day first. Right. And I think that, you know, if it's if if it's a habit that you start today, it, it takes time to establish, but once it's part of that, um, you know, part of our daily routines, I, I mean, I honestly think that I know my children kind of looked forward to it. And I know, you know, my, my son was home recently and, and, you know, he says it, it's like, that's what he loves is to be able to have these moments where we can really truly connect. Absolutely. You know, I think um, I'm an only child. So I always had that uh, there was nowhere to hide. But I, I do think it's really important. And I also think um, I also always tell parents two other things that I would love to share. One, if you don't ever leave your comfort zone, and you're trying to get a kid to, you know, engage in this social skills coaching, engage in any kind of help that you want them to get, my first piece of advice is that you start modeling and talking about being uncomfortable. When mm. you change anything, even adding a wonderful family dinner, there is a level of discomfort. And I think it's important for children to understand, you know, there needs to be a certain amount of effort in life and that there needs to be a certain amount of uh, discomfort. The other thing is if you don't personally seek help for things, then start seeking help. Because I talk a lot in Why Will Know to play with me about paving the way. And part of how we pave the way for children to understand that we're going to work on something that is hard for them is that we ourselves engage in that and we talk about it. And we say, you know, I'm, I myself am running now and I'm not very comfortable and I'm not great, you know, but it's something I wanted to do. And so I want to talk about that and talk about the fact that, you know, it isn't something I, I always thought that I would do. And it's not something that's easy for me. And that way children start to understand that it's not just them. It's everybody. Everybody has this, these kinds of struggles. I love that. I love that because it's so true. I mean, I see, 
you know, I, I am a little vulnerable, but I see in even in my professional, you know, career, how getting out of your comfort zone is, is something, you know, hard. And I think we all experience that and we all, you know, experience that fear of, of rejection or, or all of these things. And, it, and it's so true that to model that to our children that, you know, I'm also feeling this and I'm seeking help because to me that is that, uh, you know, ever important self-care aspect of, of being a parent and, and being a human. And I think if we model that to our children, we're doing them a great service. I absolutely agree. You know, I always talk with kids, especially teenagers and pre-teenagers about strategic social choices that we all have to be social a certain amount and connect with people a certain amount um, and have those shared common interests in order to have friendships. We, we have to do that. Otherwise, how would someone be friends with you? They, they wouldn't know you. They wouldn't have shared experience with you. Um, and so I think it's so important to show children friendship also. You know, many parents, they, they say 50% of kids who have social skills struggles have a parent with social skills struggles. So I would say also, if you don't ever, you know, join anything or do anything social or go to a book club or prioritize friendship, and it can just be a phase of life or because you're so busy, that also is something you would want to change because that allows children to understand that it is something that you you do work at. I mean, it's enjoyable and wonderful, but you work at it. Right, right. Yes, fascinating. Um, you, you brought up something also that for me intrigues me is this, you know, the, you, you said to put our phones away uh, earlier for dinner time, which, which I agree 100%. Um, how are you seeing our today's, uh, you know, youth and, and, and mostly teenagers, I hope not, not too much younger, with this whole, you know, digital age and social media and all of that, how is that kind of playing on this whole social skills, interacting with other humans, other than, you know, interacting online? I think it affects people greatly. Um, you know, the the statistics show that um, there are there is a virtual element to friendship now, but that, it, you know, most people have um in-person friends. That's something kids often say to me, you don't understand, nobody has live friends and, and that's not true. And I think the social media and the, the virtual world offer a retreat for some kids who are struggling. It's a place to hide out, right? Because they're, at, they're opting yeah. out. And people have done it for centuries, right? It's not new, it's just they're doing it online. I also think though that we, if you look at, you know, the fabric of society, um, kids are online a, a lot more. They even have in schools, iPads and computers, and it's changing the way we interact, the way we make eye contact, the way we, um, we interface with people and people therefore are affected and their social skills are affected. But I think we can work against that, um, by, by trying to model a different way and by having different, um, you know, I don't want to say rules as in they're, um, they're set in stone, but it, different practices in our own families. I think it is definitely affecting all of us. 
Um, and unfortunately, as adults, um, you know, I see this all the time. I'm sure we're all guilty of being on the phone too much because it's there's so much that's on it. And then we're pulling it out at dinner and we're pulling it out to check facts. And, and I think as adults, we have to put it away more or put it aside um, and show children those social interactions that we grew up with. Yes, yes. So important. So important because I know, you know, I have families who, who are concerned about how much time their child is spending online and, you know, they, they, they're playing games, virtual games with other friends and they feel they have friends, you know, <laughs> around the world, but they're not getting out physically. And I think what you said about the eye contact is, is so important. Um, and I know for me, I really, you know, encourage parents to, instead of asking Siri or Googling a fact, is ask that question of wonder. Uh, I, I wonder, what, what do you think, you know, so that we can have a discussion about something before going and looking it up in the encyclopedia, like I, I used to do as a child is, is, you know, go check in the encyclopedia. Now it's so, you know, we have it at our fingertips. And I think we, we, we have um, kind of, we, we don't use that muscle of, of wonderment and curiosity as much. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's such a distinction between, because um, we have this all the time in my family where, you know, we're talking about something and we have that wonderment. And I think there's a difference when you have it and then somebody looks it up and then we all discuss it and we have interaction because that's a different medium. Instead of the encyclopedia, you're using Google versus if everybody goes solitarily and sits with their phone and reads about a person or reads about a fact and it's not communicated and discussed, you know, and, and so I think you're very right about that. And I also think, you know, a, an interesting thing for parents to know is that um, obviously the virtual social world has been studied and there's something important they should know. One is if children have or teens have um, texting or other communication with these virtual friends outside of the gaming or outside of the virtual world, they actually can bridge to be real friendships. But if it is only in the virtual world, then what they found is it doesn't bridge to be a real friendship. And so I understand the lore and the appeal of the virtual world. And I understand it's probably going to become part of kids' lives. But I think um, that's, that's the thing. And I also think something that you brought up for me is we have to give kids alternatives, right? So we can say to them over and over again, don't be on the phone so much, don't be on your computer so much, but we have to give them, you know, other things we're doing as a family on the weekend or on the weeknights. And I don't mean over scheduling. I mean, just, you know, going apple picking, doing something else, because that gives them that connection that you're describing. Right. Right. Yeah, because I was I was very saddened actually the other day by a, a girlfriend of mine who was sharing how she's concerned that her son is, you know, on these uh, gaming platforms and he's become very good. So he, you know, he wants to keep at it, but he actually played for 11 hours straight. And I'm like, that's just, that's not healthy for anybody, you know, it's so, 
So we need, we definitely need to be careful and, 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 and give them alternatives, you know, play board games, go out and be outside. I don't know, put a timer where you have to get up and go dance or, or you know, different things for sure. Absolutely. And you know what I would say too is I never ban games. I never ban anything. What I do is I, I also talk to kids about the reward pathway in the brain. And I explain to them that their brain is, you know, being given by these games this this bit of dopamine and that once you have some, you want more. And then we find, you know, a different structure and we find a different way and we reach compromises. Because I think when you ban anything and you say you played for 11 hours, that's it for the rest of the month, you know, then it becomes the forbidden fruit. And also they're not learning any self-regulation. What I want them to learn is how to self-regulate so that when they're in the world by themselves and we're not there to monitor, they can learn how. Um, and self-regulation is part of these executive functions, this management system of the brain. So some people come to it very naturally. And other people need help and need to build that muscle. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I love the way, and, and I'm, I'm going to shift a little bit, but I love the way that you talk about executive function as the, the management center. Uh, can you briefly tell us what are these, um, the different functions? Because I know that the, the word executive function kind of gets thrown around, but I don't, I'd love for you to, to maybe explain uh, briefly to our listeners, what are all those functions? And, and what purpose do they serve? Sure, absolutely. So executive function is a term that means all the processes of the brain. So it's not one process or one area of the brain. It's all the processes of the brain that help us with attention, problem solving, future thinking, um, self-regulation, emotional regulation, all these key things that you need, honestly, to, to come and work in concert so that you can um, be your best self and, and really, you know, do your schoolwork and be social. And so one of the things that's important to know is that they can develop unevenly. So you may have a child, I call them baffling behaviors, who is incredibly organized, um, plans ahead, has great future thinking, but their emotional regulation is way behind or their maturity. And you know, you're wondering, how can this kid be so planful that they're rolling around like a two-year-old on the ground when I ask them to edit a paper? And so one of the things that, that's really important to know is that these develop over time, but, they, but it's brain-based. And so they don't develop necessarily evenly. And everyone has strengths and weaknesses. And so, you know, there are kids that I work with who are incredibly strong in one area. They build Lego, you know, I had a kid who built the MGM symbol, like at the beginning of the movie out of Legos. I mean, oh my God, like it was a work of art. Um, but he didn't necessarily um, read social cues very well or know kind of how to talk to new people. And all of this goes back to these executive function, these brain-based systems. And the idea here is that um, instead of um, assuming that the child, you know, isn't doing it on purpose, we kind of understand that if they could, they would, and that we help them develop their 
emotional regulation or their emotional um, you know, management style. And we help them so that they can build their planning muscle if they're the kind of kid who, you know, never plans ahead. And just like anything, we, we help them and guide them as parents. And then we're going to see the benefit of that. Right, right. And, and, and remembering, I mean, what you said earlier about, you know, that, that most children who have kind of, of, uh, weaknesses, the parents have the same. So, <laughs> so being aware that we also need to work on ours as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And also knowing that the world has changed, you know, maybe you, um, you were shy and you, you did struggle with certain things, but you got to have a career where you didn't switch jobs all the time, or you kind of, you know, it, it did hold you back, but you were okay. Um, and then knowing that sometimes um, the way the world is, um, this this is manifesting in your kid in a different way, and they're really struggling. And my thing is, we all want our children to, to have many choices. And so, when children have social struggles, it not only affects them, you know, like the original boy who asked why will no one play with me, and they're heartbroken. But it also affects their well-being. You know, I meet many adults who will tell me that they don't switch jobs. They don't, you know, do they don't go for that big promotion because of social skills, because they can't read the room or because they don't adapt well. And that to me is just tragic. I want our children to do whatever they want to do and and have the skills to do it. Yes, beautiful. Thank you. That that's to me it's just such such important work that you are doing to to help us navigate all of these, you know, social skills and and, and such that are so important to to like you said to be able to adapt to this ever, you know, fast-paced changing world that we are in today. So I'd love to to wrap up with a more personal question if I yes. may. Yes. So earlier you said that you had two children and your eldest was 11. So if you were to go back uh, 12 years ago when you were expecting your eldest, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing everything that you know today? I would actually say to go with your gut. Mm -hmm. In my experience, my children are like so often parents experience very different kids. And in both cases, I have had moments of, of mommy gut. And sometimes the moment was even to say, there's something here we need to look into or something is challenging them or, you know, they aren't taking to this, you know, this food. There's a, there's an allergy here, or whatever it is. And I think um, often parents come to me with a 17-year-old and they say to me, I have known all along, and I have brought this up with teachers, with pediatricians, with whomever, and they have said, it's fine, don't overreact. And I would say, if I could empower Caroline of 12 years ago, I would say to her, if your gut tells you something is the matter, it is. 
Yes, so important. Our maternal instincts are very, very, very wise. So listen to them. (laughs) Yes, beautiful. Well, this has been delightful, uh, Caroline, to meet with you and have this uh, wonderful conversation. I really thank you for your time. And is there anything that you want to leave us with? Any, Any parting words that you want our listeners to really take away from this conversation? I'd love to. Um, you know, Why Will Know and Play With Me um, is a wonderful resource, and it can be very overwhelming um, looking at these social challenges and feeling that maybe you won't wait, or maybe you don't want to see this, or maybe, you know, it's just so overwhelming. But what I would say is buy the book, read a chapter, read a page, um, then you will have it and you will have what you need to help your child. Um, don't wait because this is so important. And if your gut is telling you that, you know, your child needs this, um, I know it can be overwhelming. I've been there, but really go out and get it. And if you only read one page at a time, um, you will be better for it. Perfect. Thank you for creating that amazing resource. Thank you again for your time today. It's been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.